Watching Them Kids, proudly presented by the Turbo Man line of deluxe, fully posable talking action figures. Turbo Man, it's turbo time. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics, like Aberrant, Banjax, and now Suicide Jackies. The other voice in the dark, the man on the box to the left is... David Avalone, uh, filmmaker, comic book writer, and college graduate. Love it. Uh, if you missed any of our previous conversations, uh, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, John Lehman, and many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So uh, double on back and check it all out. Um, great episode today. Very special episode. Uh, but why don't we get some plugs in first, Avalani? Go ahead. So August 4th, I have Elvira Meets Vincent Price, issue one, coming out. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. Elvira, and she meets Vincent Price. Uh, it's at the moment a five-issue miniseries. Could be more. Go to your LCS and demand. Nay, beg for your copy. And also, just... Uh, Last week, the uh, Kickstarter dropped for Elvira, The Wrath of Khan, in which Elvira travels to San Diego for something called Pop Culturama, which bears absolutely no resemblance to San Diego Comic-Con uh, for legal purposes. Uh, that's live now. You can check it out. It's a very fun story. It's a direct sequel to last year's Elvira, The Omega Mam, which was our pandemic comedy. Yes, you can do that. And uh, what do you got, Ryland? Uh, well, I was going to scream uh, Khan again, to, uh, like I did last week, to, um, to commemorate the Elvira launch, but um, I think I pulled something last time, and my, uh, my doctor has uh, you, you strongly your, advised... You, you have a fractured Shatner now. Yeah, exactly. My doctor has strongly advised against me ever doing that again, so um, that may have been the only time you guys witnessed history uh, last week. Um, but uh, yeah, my latest and greatest and uh, craziest comic joint... It is a uh, tokusatsu book uh, titled Suicide Jockeys. Uh, tokusatsu for the uninitiated is the Japanese sci-fi genre that includes, uh, you know, fun like uh, the Power Rangers and Voltron and then uh, kaiju uh, fair like Godzilla and whatnot. Um, Suicide Jockeys, in a nutshell, we're pitching it as kind of Fast and the Furious meets, uh, meets Voltron. Uh, with an extra dollop of heart and soul and, uh, you know, co-created with uh, Brad Warner, who we've had on the show uh, before. Uh, it's a book conceived by uh, two Soto Zen Buddhist monks. And so, uh, you know, there's some kind of fun uh, uh, Zen stuff that gets legislated in those pages. So uh, it's a hell of a ride. Um, most fun I've had creating a book. Um, so check it on out. Uh, enjoy it. Um, but yeah, why don't we uh, why don't we get to the the craziness of the day, huh? Yes, today's special episode, uh, Ryland set up a panel with LA Film School, where we were specifically addressing uh, film students and why they should know about, understand, and possibly even work in and on comic books and the comic book industry. And without further ado, here it is. Howdy, howdy, howdy. All these beautiful comic creators slash uh, uh, TV film professionals. Uh, how you guys doing, LA Film School? Um, uh, I will introduce myself first uh, uh, before I, uh, I, I get the panel going. Uh, my name is Rylan Grant. Um, I'm going to date myself here, but I did a year-long intensive in cinematography at the Los Angeles Film School back in 2004. 
So I'm one of you. Um, I am a proud alumnus, uh, as it were. Um, so after LAFS, I studied uh, directing at the uh, American Film Institute Conservatory for a couple of years. And then I worked pretty steadily as a screenwriter in Hollywood ever since. Um, so I spent about the last 15 years or so developing film and TV projects with folks like Ridley Scott and J.J. Abrams and Justin Lin and John Woo and Luke Bassan and other folks, other hacks like that. Um, uh, I have a film coming out with Emile Hirsch uh, in the fall called State of Consciousness. I have another one shooting in the spring and that's all my film stuff and blah, 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 blah. But we're here to, uh, to talk comics to you today. Uh, um, so I, I have this other career uh, uh, in the comic book world. I kind of swerved into the comic book lane about five years ago. Uh, and I'll talk about the how and the why in a minute here. Um, a little intro to me on the comic side. Uh, my first comic book was a uh, political action thriller called Aberrant. It uh, won a Ringo Award, uh, kind of think comic book Emmys uh, a few years back uh, and was nominated for two others. Uh, my second book, Banjax, is a uh, dark superhero noir uh, that made a dozen critics 10 best lists and it was nominated for uh, four Ringo Awards. And I've made uh, a bunch of books since, um, The Jump, The Peacekeepers, all available on Amazon and Comixology and, and stuff like that. Uh, my new book, my uh, latest and greatest, is a uh, tokusatsu joint called Suicide Jockeys. You can find it at your local comic shop. It uh, drops in August, but go pre-order it now. Um, uh, now, why are we talking comics? I mean, you came to the Los Angeles Film School to, uh, to, to make movies. So again, why are we doing this? Uh, thesis statement for the panel, listen up. Um, so big league opportunity in Hollywood is scarce right now uh, and has probably always been. Uh, that should be no shock to you guys. I'm not trying to dishearten you, but, 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 but listen, we're, we're here to pump you up. Uh, big league opportunity in Hollywood is scarce, but there have never been more do doors opening comics than there are right now. Um, I can tell you from firsthand experience that the, the first class visual storing, uh, storytelling education that you're receiving here at the Los Angeles Film School, um, it has kind of made you the perfect comic book weapon. Um, when you're writing a comic script, you're kind of directing the movie while you write it. Um, you're breaking the story down into individual panels and shots. You're communicating with an artist like they were your uh, production designer, uh, your costumer, et, et, et cetera. Uh, making a comic book is a lot like directing a movie. Um, it can be transitioning into comics. It can be really easy and very exciting for a film savvy person. Uh, we're going to dive into the specifics of that later. Um, but this panel is about encouraging you to look to the comic medium as a possibility uh, for opportunity. And so, uh, so to that end, I have gathered for you four uh, very wildly accomplished professionals uh, who have for various reasons maintained uh, successful careers in both film and TV and comics. Uh, and they are here to tell you how and why that happened and why you should consider it making it happen for yourself. So why don't I shut up for a minute and let's introduce our panelists. Um, I'm just gonna go on down the line here. Uh, Avalon, you're first in line. Introduce yourself, uh, uh, tell us who you are, what you've done, all that noise, where you been? Uh, I'm uh, David Avalone. I, I uh, was educated at Bard, uh, graduated in 1987. And yes, I look fantastic for my age. Uh, I worked in film for independent film, mostly for about 34 years, making a bunch of indie films. Uh, n with none of the people Ryland listed, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Andy Sedaris. Anyway, uh, I made a lot of low budget indie films, um, 
as a director, as a writer, as a producer, as a rip, uh, I did a little bit of everything. I have a baffling IMDb page uh, for that reason. But I was uh, at the beginning of my career uh, without any particular connections or family money. I did whatever job I could get in the business. And I actually kind of encourage that because it's good to have a fully rounded idea of what production and post-production are. Uh, that said, about seven years ago, uh, honestly burning out a little bit on the indie film world, uh, a friend of mine with connections in the comic book industry randomly read an old indie script of mine, one that was slated to go into production in October of 2008. And then suddenly all of the money that had been invested in the movie, something happened to it. I don't know. You could probably look it up on Wikipedia, October 2008, something happened. Uh, anyway, so that script was sitting around doing me no good, no favors. Uh, a friend of mine read it randomly and said, you know, I can probably get you hired at some comic book companies. And uh, she recommended me to a couple of editors, one of whom I struck up a friendship with, and he offered me a gig at Dynamite Comics. And since then, I think I've done six or seven series for them. Uh, Betty Page, three different Betty Page series, because the comic industry is like that. Uh three different Elvira, Mistress of the Dark series, a couple of pulp adventures from the 1930s, The Shadow and Doc Savage. Uh, I wrote Zorro for, there, there are some covers for you. Yes, that is the Queen of England on the back of the Vesper Scooter. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Zorro, uh, Swords of Hell for uh, American Mythology comics. There's Twilight Zone, The Shadow, which is a weird mashup of two very different things. Um, Elvira meets... Vincent Price is coming out in August. And Drawing Blood there on the lower left is an independent comic that I co-created with Kevin Eastman, whose name you may or may not know as the guy who created the teenage or co-created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, probably the most successful independent publishing venture of all time. Um, and since then, you know, I that that's what I keep moving forward in. I We'll get later to the irony of what my comic book career did to my film career down the road. I don't think we need to get to that now. Uh, Not just yet, no. Yeah, no, we can hold off on, on that surprise ending. Um, but yeah, so I, I keep working in both industries, but comic books taking up a lot of my time these days. Nicely done. Amanda, uh, tell us who you are. Hi, I'm Amanda Dybert. I, I work in comics and film, as everyone here does. Uh, right now, for TV stuff, I uh, have written several episodes of the upcoming He-Man and the Masters of the Universe for Netflix. I've also done a lot of uh, a lot of late night writing and comedy writing, and even written for the Oprah Winfrey Network. My my television credits are really all over the place. If there's like some sort of random genre of anything live. I have definitely written for it, including former Vice President Al Gore's 24 Hours of Reality, which is live for 24 hours. And I write an over 500 page script for that. I did that for four years. Um, and in comic books, I do a lot for DC Comics, Wonder Woman 77, DC Superhero Girls, Teen Titans Go. I do some John Carpenter's Tales for a Halloween Night Horror Comics. I've got a Red Sonia Black White Red out right now for Dynamite. Uh, again, all over the place, children's comics, horror comics, uh, superhero comics, a lesbian noir called Work for a Million coming out with Penguin Random House this summer. So I'm a, 
I'm an all over the place kind of a lady. And, <laughs> and how I got started in comics was actually via, uh, well, two things. I started dating a comic book illustrator who is now my wife, Kat Staggs. And we started doing an online web comic that was kind of a comic strip that was making fun of various things in my life. I was already a TV writer at the time. Uh, but this was a way for me to tell embarrassing stories about my life. It was called Hot Mess. And it would be things like when I went hiking and tried to go to the restroom off trail and ended up falling off a cliff with my pants around my ankles, you know, just like really stellar <laughs> life stories like that, that I was sharing with the whole internet. TV rights still available and, for that one, by the way. Amanda, don't go too far with the how and why just yet. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah you know, no, 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 no worries. We'll, we'll dive more into that in, in, in just a minute. But uh, 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 I, I want to make sure we can dive fully into the uh, the stories of a a pantsless Amanda falling off cliffs. Um, can I, I just I, say, I I, I, I hope <laughs> I hope the title "Hot Mess" is available for you because that is just perfection. <laughs> Action for uh, that story. <laughs> uh, for the students listening, uh, you will discover slowly but surely of the course that we all know each other pretty well and, and we're kind of friends and friendly and we will rib each other and stuff like that. And so, uh, 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 yeah, enjoy the ride. Uh, uh, David Boer, just tell us who you are, uh, 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 short and sweet. Sure. Um, I, I guess this isn't the time to share my sinister origin story, but <laughs> sinister started... origin story coming soon. That's what's coming next. Go ahead. Okay. Go. Um, I, I, I'm actually a lawyer. Uh, that's where my career trajectory started me. And um, years and years ago, I started writing. I went to um, the law, um, UCLA professional program in screenwriting, which is like an evening program that you do for a year or so. Uh, wrote some scripts there. Uh, nothing ever happened and so lo and behold I pitched an idea for comics and I got it picked up by a um, <clears throat> indie publisher that was just starting out and I did a couple of books for them a few years ago and then I um, wrote and published a book called Canto from IDW Publishing stars this little guy right here it's kind of an all-ages fantasy in the in the vein of like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and Neverending Story all those things I loved as a kid um, kind of a dark fantasy. And it was picked up in the spring for, by um, Will and Jada Smith's uh, film production company, Westbrook Studios, to adapt as a film. And, uh, you know, we'll talk hopefully more about this and how to position yourself to adapt your own work. But with my film background, I had, I had um, done some assignments. I had uh, sold a script previous to publishing Canto. And so I was able to position myself as an executive producer and um, to write the adaptation for the film. And so that's part of the deal. And I couldn't do that unless I had, um, un unless I had a background and I had a good sample that I could show them, a, a screenwriting sample. So I did um, uh, worked on that and I have a new book coming from Dark Horse called Killer Queens. We put together an all LGBTQ creative team to create a story that I like to affectionately call Guardians of the Galaxy. So <laughs> that's where we are with that. Awesome. Um, and my most recent uh, project, I got uh, hired to write a nice long one-shot story in the Firefly universe. So that's River uh, dealing with the Hands of Blue, if anybody's familiar with Firefly. And that's awesome. going to be out in September. And we'll just, after that, keep things rolling. 
Excellent. And, uh, and, and as David sort of uh, uh, hinted at there, we will be talking, uh, we'll, we'll be going sort of in depth, you know, do a deep dive on sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the power of having your own IP of controlling your IP. It was, uh, it, it made my entire career. And, uh, and so you guys should think really hard about this. Uh, Melody, um, uh, last but certainly not least, uh, introduce yourself, uh, save the evil origin story uh, uh, for a minute or two. But, um, but, but let her rip. Uh, sure, hi, hi everybody. Uh, I'm originally from New York. Uh, I started out writing as a playwright uh, and had uh, several productions up in New York. And I came out to LA about two years ago after I did the, the uh, HBO Writers Program. And uh, out of that, I staffed on two sentence horror stories and uh, wrote two episodes for that. I have uh, since then also done the Sundance Episodic Lab, and uh, I write sci-fi and horror. That's my and, and thrillers uh, and dramas. I write everything. So I'm a multi-platform girl. I also um, just sold a scripted podcast to Dear Media. That's a spy thriller, and uh, just closed a deal on another podcast scripted for a horror series. And I also have just started. Um, there's another deal that I have for a, a TV series, a, a limited horror series. I, um, and I am currently writing a fantasy feature for Netflix. And I'm new to comic books. Um, the rest of the panel have been in it a lot longer than I have, but uh, I was pegged by Humanoids to write the second volume of Omni, so uh, issues five to 10. And uh, I'm in Noir is the New Black, which is an anthology of all black um, comic book artists and writers. And I have a sci-fi story called Igbo Landing in that anthology. And that's me. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, so now we're gonna get into the, the, the how and why. And it's probably, um, it's probably best if I start um, just to kind of set the stage here because I'm the, uh, you know, uh, this, this panel sprung from my twisted mind. Uh, uh, and so let me lay out the sort of how and why of that also why I'm doing that. And then, uh, and then you guys can kind of give me your stories and this will turn into an organic discussion. But I can already tell just from the intro just how, um, just how similar our journeys are. I mean, of course, the, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the variables are different. Uh, but the equation is very often the same, um, and 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 for me, and as I, you know, as I know uh, uh, privately uh, 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 for a fact, but you know, also can just sense from what you said. Um, for me, uh, you know, I, I had this long career in in you know as a screenwriter uh, uh, to start. I mean, I've been writing uh, in Hollywood for about twelve years, very seriously before I ever uh, uh, entertained moving into comics. Um, uh, you know, I. I guess my shift goes a little further back. Um, let me just get into it. Um, for me, it was about two things. It was about survival, right? And then it was about uh, uh, soul food <clears throat> because moving into comics uh, saved my creative life. And I'll get into two, those two things, but because I'm conversationally anal retentive, uh, let me start with uh, uh, point one. Uh, let me start with survival uh, uh, first. So um, I got spit into uh, into the the Hollywood you know sort of screen writing market. Um, uh, God, two thousand five maybe something like that. Um, I got hired out of uh, out of AFI. I was about halfway through AFI, and um, Penelope Cruz of all people hired me to write a film 
uh, with Fernando Trueba, who uh, some of you will know, some of you won't. He won the Oscar for foreign language film years back for Bella Poke, um, uh, you know, huge director in Spain. And, and it was like, you know, it was my, my dream job, essentially. Uh, uh, you know, I'm this scared kid in his 20s and I kind of get thrown into this thing. Um, but, you know, the market was amazing back then. It was like, I was the kid who, you know, I saw Pulp Fiction. Uh, uh, I, I, I said, I want to do that. And I moved out to Hollywood to, you know, make films, make wild, crazy, uh, intellectually, socially challenging films based on my own original ideas. Right. And I did that for a couple of years, you know, and, and how the market was when I got spit in was if you had a great idea, you wrote a script. And if that script was decent, you sold it. You know, if there were two good ideas in that script, you could sell it. Um, and, and I did that for a while. And then this is where Avalone and I, where, where our stories uh, uh, sort of intersect here. Then right around 2008, uh, the financial crisis, crisis hits, uh, right around the time that the writer strike hits um, and everything, it, it is like a nuclear bomb to the film business. Um, uh, the, the studios uh, uh, kind of use it as an excuse to kind of completely remake the way they, they do business. Overnight, they're making about a third as many films as they were making, you know, the, 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 the day before. The entire independent film movement dries up. Um, and, you know, suddenly the kid that, uh, that wanted to make Pulp Fiction had nowhere to take his original ideas, right? Um, and, um, you know, and so, you know, what happened was this coincides with the IP revolution. And we'll be talking a lot about IP. IP means intellectual property. And, and essentially what it means is, you know, uh, books, comic books, video games, uh, that sort of thing. Um, right around 2008, there's this huge shift in the film business where kind of everything, every film that, that a Hollywood studio was gonna make had to be based on something, uh, a book, a, a, a comic book, a video game, uh, whatever. Couldn't sell my original ideas to save my life. And, and I had a couple of lean years trying to push that giant boulder, the giant original idea boulder uphill, right? Um, and falling on my face and wondering, can I, you know, am I meant to do this? You know, is this going to be a career for me? And I went to two very great film schools. I went to the Los Angeles Film School. I went to the American Film Institute Conservatory and I went with amazing minds, people who were smarter than me that were better at this than me. And I saw them kind of one by one sort of drop off because they couldn't or wouldn't adapt. And, and, and somehow, some way I got hit with this lightning bolt of an idea. If Hollywood wants IP, then why don't I just give them IP, right? Um, and so I took, an, I took an original idea that I knew I couldn't sell in a million years uh, uh, in Hollywood as a spec or a, or, or a pitch, and I wrote it as a short story. I got the short story published, and like literally overnight, we had a bidding war on it in Hollywood. We had Justin Lin on one side coming off of uh, uh, Fast Six, uh, which was the at that point the largest opening in Universal Summer history. It might still be. We had Robert De Niro uh, 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 on the other side with Brett Ratner. Tyler Perry came in and made an offer. It was this, this big deal, right? Um, and, uh, and my agents thought it was a fluke at that point, but I'm, but, but I sensed it. I knew that this is where the business was heading. Um, and so I doubled down on it. I tripled down on it. And so, um, uh, you know, I just started kind of churning out IP, um, uh, to cut, to make, you know, this long story short, um, I have since, uh, done that seven more times with short stories. Um, I just sold a, uh, TV series, The Lionsgate, uh, with, uh, to be digs attached to it. Um, and that was based on a short story that I wrote uh, uh, years ago. I have started since then doing it with comic books. Uh, my, my first book, Aberrant, um, two weeks before the second issue hit uh, comic shops, 
it was optioned for TV by Tony Krantz and we're turning it into a TV series. Now, Tony Krantz did 24 and Felicity and is doing Woo Assassins at Netflix. Um, and so I did what I had to do to survive. Um, I, the, one of my huge uh, revelations, and I think it is a, is a revelation that hopefully we can kind of instill in you coming out of film school, is that I don't think it is enough to be a screenwriter right now. Um, I think you have to be a writer, you have to be a storyteller, you have to produce stories and content. Uh, 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 again, uh, opportunity in Hollywood can be, um, you know, it can be tough. Um, uh, you have to find, and, and, and so if they won't let you in the front door, find a way around, find the side door, find the back door. And I think that's what we've all do, uh, did. And it, it was great, you know, listening to the intros and hearing, you know, Melody say, well, I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm a playwright. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm, I, I'm doing that, uh, you know, Amanda saying that, um, that, that, you know, she writes, you know, late night television, um, uh, you know, um, Melody selling podcasts. Um, and I, you know, and I, I know you guys will kind of, you know, build out this thesis, um, but, you know, you need to be doing kind of what you can to, to kind of survive, you know, you need to, uh, to, to make yourself a generator of ideas, a, 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 a storyteller. Now we are all screenwriters, and and what you guys probably already know, is sitting there as as film students, is that like you know, okay, well, let's say you write a big bad Hollywood movie and it never gets made, it sits on the shelf, and after 15 years <laughs> of working in this business, I have dozens of dead children sitting on my shelf uh, that will never be seen by anybody. And the beauty of creating, uh, telling a story first in, in, you know, as a book, as a comic book, as a short story, as a podcast, as anything is that, you know, you have these stories to tell, right. And, and, and they become something they, they go out into the world and they live this life. Right. Um, and people consume them and people are entertained by them and people message you and say they're moved by them. And so all I'm saying is, you know, maybe you'll come right out of a, a film school like I did and, and, and sell a script and you'll be a screenwriter right off the bat. Um, that happened to me. Uh, and I hope it happens to you, but there will be bumps in the road because three years later, I couldn't sell a, a script to save my life and I had to find a new way. And so comics uh, 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 or, or any of these things became my, my other way. Now, now I'm, I'm going long here, but I, I will lay out the soul food. This is the other why. And then I'll, and then I'll throw it over to my, my, my uh, compatriots here. Um, you know, the Hollywood only makes a certain kind of film right now, you know, with uh, it, it's getting better, but it's a certain kind of film with certain kind of featuring certain kind of people. Um, and they want it written a certain way, right? Uh, they make about five different kinds of films right now. And, uh, and as I, I, I always sound like an idiot, you know, I came here to make Pulp Fiction. And I, I ended up getting stuck writing big action movies for people. I sound like a moron when I complain about doing that. And, and I don't really mean to complain about it because, you know, I mean, look at my wall, you know, I love Die Hard, I love Beverly Hills Cop, I love, you know, I love Action Jackson. I love, I love these movies more than anything else. So there is this other side of me and I get to write those and that is awesome. Uh, but there is this other side of me that needed to kind of be nourished and be able to express itself. I wanted to tell stories about other people, uh, you know, in, 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 in other places. And the beauty of comics is that um, you can tell any story any kind of way, as long as it's good, you will find an audience. You will find a publisher that is excited about it. You will find some way to get it out into the world. And then the irony of all that is that um, is that once it's a comic book, then Hollywood will take it seriously. <laughs> then they will look hard at it. Um, um, you know, so so you know, so so there's that. So um, you know, I mean, for me, it was like it, it was really about. I mean, you know, telling. 
I, I got very good at telling those five kinds of stories that, that, that Hollywood likes to tell and telling them the way that they wanted me to tell them, right? Um, you know, they, they, they bought my house. Uh, I'm very thankful for those movies. Um, but after 12 years of doing it, I had to take a hard look and be like, I don't know if I can do this for another 12 years. Like I am, I was creatively stifled. I was not, my, my, my soul was not being fed, but, but more importantly, my writing got stale. My writing got bad. Um, and, and that was a problem that was going to be, that was going to wash me out of the business. And so I needed to do something to kind of reinvigorate myself as a writer and, and comics ended up being that. So when I, when I moved into comics, um, I embraced that you can tell any story any kind of way. Um, I, I made a pact with myself that I was never going to tell a straightforward story, that I was gonna double down on experimental elements, that I was gonna play with structure, that I was gonna you know, uh, uh, tell stories out of order. Um, uh, um, you know, the, um, the, the second issue of Banjax is told from the point of view of a man who is literally, he hasn't slept in seven days and he's literally being driven mad uh, 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 because of it. Um, and so you are seeing the story through his eyes, uh, but you don't know what's real and what isn't. And you're, you're ultimately given no answers. You know, in the end, you're left to kind of sort through it. Banjax in general, Banjax is kind of a Batman and Robin story. And so uh, the, the um, odd issues are told from the Batman's point of view. The, the even issues are told from the Robin's point of view. Each man is telling the same story, but they have a very uh, different, very sort of prejudiced take on what happened. You know, uh, it's all seen through their, their own, you know, mental filters, their own, uh, each man believes he is right. Um, you're presented with both sides of the story. You're given no answers in the end. You're, you're left in the end to kind of sort through it. And, and you know, and, and, and being able to kind of just play with drama, play with character, uh, uh, play with structure in that way, it made me feel alive again. It fed my soul. It made me be excited to, to sit down uh, at the computer. And then the irony of all of it, was it started to kind of find its way into my, my, my film work, this, this TV show I was talking about that I just set up. Um, it's a heist deal. And I've written probably a half dozen heist movies uh, uh, in my life. And I'm good at phoning in the heist movie. The, the, and I could have done that again here and got paid and, and it would have been great, but it never would have gotten made. I know that because every, you guys can attest to this, every uh, room that you walk into in Hollywood, every production company has two heist movies in, in, in production and none of them will ever, uh, not in, in development, none of them will ever get made because they're all the same essentially, right? Um, uh, and so, you know, I, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at, you know, you'll spend a year working on this, right? And, and, and I couldn't spend another year doing that. It wasn't worth my time. It wasn't worth theirs. Um, uh, and so I just kind of took the gloves off and I said, you know what? You know, all this stuff that I'm doing in comics that has kind of like invigorated me, that's made me feel alive. What if I just did that here? What if I said, screw it, tossed everything aside and just did all of that. And so I did it. So, so I wrote this thing and I went crazy. I mean, and, and I'm playing with structure and I have two unreliable narrators contradicting each other and butting heads. And, um, and, and I'm telling the story in this bonkers way. And, and, you know, I loved it. It was like going, you know, 120 miles an hour in a Ferrari, like down the PCH howling at the moon. It was awesome. And I turned it in. I didn't tell them I was doing it. Um, and they read it. And, uh, and it took them a little longer than it should have to process it. And I was worried. I'm like, am I going to get fired on this thing? Did I, just, <laughs> did I just mess up? I really need this money. I got to pay my mortgage. Uh, but then they gathered everybody. We got on the, on the notes call and I'm, I'm waiting to get reamed. And they're like, we read it and we love it. <laughs> like, go back. All this stuff you're doing, double down on it. Give us more. Do us this. Do us, do us that. You know, and, and, and that's what got a star interested in it. 
And that's what got a studio interested in it is because it was different. It's like they, they sit down and they're prepared to read the cookie cutter heist film. Uh, and it wasn't that it was different. It was a curveball, and they loved it. And, and now that's why it's going to get made. Um, and I owe it all to comics. I owe it all to, to diversifying my bonds like these other people are doing. Um, and so that is my how and why. And so I am going to throw it to you guys for, you know, uh, evil origin stories, uh, how you got into comics, why you got into comics. I'm not going to call on anybody. Um, you know, why don't we just, why don't we just go into it? Who wants to go first? Or should I call on somebody? You guys are too polite. Uh, um, Avalone. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> go ahead, Avalone. <laughs> no, of course, I'm muted because it's the 21st century. Yeah. Um, my evil origin story is uh, I arrived in Hollywood in 1987 and had the immediate reaction. I was looking for a movie to see on a weekend, looked in the newspaper, and it suddenly occurred to me for the first time in my life, oh, I don't want to make anything that people are making now. Huh. That means studios aren't going to buy anything I want to write. Okay, <laughs> maybe I should have thought of that before I drew, drove 3,000 miles and rented an apartment. But uh, my love of film uh, from early childhood was still there. So I just kept it indie the whole time. In the 90s, I tried a little bit to work in the studio system, couldn't get through the door, couldn't get an agent, didn't have the connections, didn't have the pedigree, didn't have any of those things. And, uh, you know, as, as Ryland said, he called them dead children. I always compare writing a script to uh, being Frankenstein. And then you finish it and the agent gets it or whoever, and it goes out to people, which is the calling down of the lightning. And then you pound it on the chest and say, give my creation life. And then that doesn't happen. You have a basement full of dead bodies, which is just awesome. Uh, there are two streams and Ryland addressed this. There's what do you wanna do that makes you happy? And there's how are you going to live and survive? I did that by taking various production jobs. Uh, I did I did some writing back in the day. I ghost wrote some low budget movies, but uh, ultimately I didn't find, unlike Ryland, I found no home at the studios and uh, was always a writer, but didn't really think of myself that way. Thought of myself more as a director. And then when this, as I mentioned in my intro, when the opportunity to write comics came along and this is something I will sidebar and say, storytelling is what we all do. Doesn't matter what variation it is. Storytelling is the art, film, comics, short stories, theater, those podcasts, those are crafts. I maintain that if you can tell a story, learning the difference between various formats and learning is something you should take seriously, but, seriously, but if you know storytelling, it is something you can master. And when I had this opportunity to write comics, I literally like some of them I had already read, but I took down the Scott McCloud understanding comics from the shelf. I read the Will Eisner book. I read the, yeah, Dave Bower is look, Boer's <laughs> looking over his shoulder at his bookshelf. We all have those books, just like in film, it's Sid Field, it's McKee, who I think is overrated, which is going to mean you, nobody takes me seriously from here on in. Uh, it's, you know, there, there's all of the, the standard, you know, Save the Cat, I think is one of the books, the 21 day screenplay. There we go. David's got all of them. <laughs> oh, here it is. Yeah. Those books exist for filmmaking. 
uh, for that exists for filmmaking exists for comic books. And I encourage you, if you're gonna try this, read those books too and learn. It's not impenetrable. It is, matter of fact, most books about writing comics have about 40 pages, 40 pages of solid advice in them and about 60 pages of filler because after you get through those 30 pages about page turns, about pacing, about issue length, about panel size, about page layout, uh, then you kind of run out of things to say and say, hey, my friend uh, has an article that says much of the same thing, we're gonna reprint it here. Almost every book on writing comics is like that. So I encourage you to read them. I also encourage you to read them as a filmmaker because they are about visual storytelling and there are things to learn about filmmaking from reading comic books. There are things to learn about pacing from reading comic books and there are things to learn about all of it about storytelling in general from reading comic books because it's just it's a different language to tell the same information and what Ryland went through I know so many studio film writers who have what I call the cocktail party problem which is they have a beautiful house they make a zillion dollars a year and someone says oh what ha what have you done that I would have seen and they can't answer that question because they've been writing for 20 years and nothing has ever been made, of, in, actually made into a film. Uh, so that is, that is one of the dangers of going down that road. It might buy you a nice house and you might also never ever see anything done, which is why I stayed in the indie world. The last movie I produced, I actually did a Kickstarter for. We'll probably talk more about Kickstarter. The thing that's great about comic books is we all know the, the bar to make a film is lower than it's ever been financially. The bar to make a comic book is 5% of that bar. Uh, you got to find an artist. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I bet some of you can draw. <laughs> Certainly, I bet most of you can draw better than I can. So there's that. So uh, all that to say, as, as Ryland has said, it, comic books are a good place to get out the idea uh, that you don't think you can sell and that you're not, it's not even about selling. It's just a story you want to tell. And the great thing about the way things work now is that ironically, the studios tend to treat the comic book industry as the R&D department, the <laughs> underpaid, underfunded, underloved R&D department. And they, they troll us for stories. I mean, everyone looks at the creativity of the MCU and the TV shows. And it's like, those of us who've been reading comic books since the seventies are like, there are a trillion stories in those comic books that they have not even begun to touch the outside outskirts of. So all that said, it's a low bar for telling your story and for getting out your ideas. Uh, so the last thing that I will say about the the, the, the ironic connection between the two is after not being able to get arrested in the studio system, I started writing comic books for a bunch of years. And then literally the first time someone hired me to walk through the gates of Paramount and pay me as a writer was because I was a comic book guy. A friend of mine was developing uh, Red Sonia uh, and they they put out the word that they were looking for people who understood comic books and understood that language. And since then I've been doing development for her, uh, for their very successful uh, motion picture and television company for about two years. In my 34 years in independent film meant nothing to Paramount Pictures. 
my six years of writing comic books was very relevant to their interests. So, you know, it can all work for you in ways that you do not expect it to. And now I turn it over to Amanda Deeper. <laughs> Nicely done. So we left off with me dangling naked on the side of a cliff, and I'll keep me there for a little while. I'm the literal cliffhanger. Oh, uh, of suspense. <laughs> she's, play she's playing with structure, even in this. Did I survive? Did I make it? Did I die naked at the bottom of the mountain? We may never know. Amanda, uh, voiceover. You might wonder how I got Yeah, record scratch. Cut to. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think... I think that uh, there's so much interconnection with all of these industries now, especially more than ever. And, and as has been said previously, at the end of the day, we're storytellers and being able to tell stories is fulfilling. It's also fun to play with different mediums. It's fun to work with very talented visual artists and see the way that they interpret something, it's collaborative in the way that that film is, but you have a smaller team. It's very good for helping you with show don't tell because comic book is, is the ultimate distillation of show don't tell because everything's visual and you don't actually have a lot of room on your panel for dialogue. So you gotta, if you have a big monologue, it's gonna cover up all the art on the page. So like, sorry, get that shit down to three sentences or you're screwed. So you've got, or, you know, cut it up panel by panel with some interesting visuals. It's gonna, it helps train your brain in a really good visual way. So I, I wanna say that too, it's a great asset. It's gonna make you a better writer if you learn to write for comics. It was very helpful for me writing an animation. So He-Man is the first animated show that I've written on, but because I come from a comic book background, I, it, it was very easy for me because animation uh, more so than traditional, like live action screenwriting is a much more, again, visual medium where you, you know, your descriptions are going to be a little more prevalent than they would be in maybe some other things that you're used to writing. So comic books will help with that as well, help you start thinking about that, the visual sight gag kind of thing. Uh, so I just wanted to say that before I forgot that there's a lot uh, there's a lot about writing comics that will just in general make you a better writer. And it's also just so fulfilling to have things that you can put out and they're out in the world much more quickly. It's not years and years of, oh, it optioned. Is it ever going to get made? Oh, there was a pilot made. Oh, it didn't. You know, we have in, in, in our industries, in, in both of these industries, there's so much of like, I wrote this thing. Now will anything happen with it? And that's why I also think it's a good idea to have as many things going on as you can for your sanity. Uh, for me, writing on shows and writing a screenplay for myself and writing comics has enough things going on that I can't put all my hopes on just one thing and sit around pining away and waiting for it to happen. Like, oh God, this person wants to make my thing. And now I'm gonna sit and stare at the wall for the next 10 days and wonder if they're gonna call me back. Like, that's why it's really good. No, go write a comic book instead. Great. That producer's interested. If they call you back, great. If not, well, guess what? You just wrote another comic book and guess what? You just wrote another thing and you've got your podcast going and like, it will save your life to not put all the pressure you have on your one precious thing. And I, more than anything in the world, 
I really, really recommend you do that because I made myself nuts in my early 20s. Uh, both as an actress, which is where I started, and then as a as a writer, just like waiting, did they like me? Will they call me? Uh, it's just not a way to live. So anyway, dangling on the cliff, started making my own web comics because also produce your own content. However you can, it, it really will help you. So these were web comics uh, that my, my then girlfriend, now wife, and I were doing. That collaboration worked out. Uh, and then I was also doing, so this was a time of, of web series. So I was still an actress. I was doing some web series. I started doing some YouTube videos that were jokes. I did one that was a Batman joke. It went around the DC comics offices and between our web comic that we had done and that joke video, I got contacted by an editor at DC who said, Hey, do you want to write a wonder woman story? So this is what I mean by it all being connected. I did a YouTube video and that got me writing for Wonder Woman, which in return has been more interesting to some people in television. And so, I mean, my comics writing is ultimately what got me onto He-Man. It all, it all just does a big circle. It really all is connected because if you're writing good content, people like it. That's what's gonna matter. All the mediums are, help each other and support each other and also, this is a one industry town, like you're in LA, everybody works in TV and movies. That's not that interesting at a cocktail party. <laughs> Nobody really cares that you're making a movie because every single person at the party is making a movie. So if you've got comics, oh, I'm working on this comic book, whether it's for a company like DC or it's your own IP, at least it's something that not everybody at the party is doing. And they'll be like, oh my God, cool. People in job interviews, in in writers' rooms, in part, always care more about what I'm doing in comics than anything I've done in the industry that we both work in together. It's it's just how life works. Do other things, just in general, even beyond comics, even beyond like, please do things to make yourself interesting. <laughs> so can I just can I just quickly say as an aside? I I know Amanda probably hates it when I tell this story. I knew you were gonna. <laughs> Five years before we met through comics we had worked on something together and I had completely forgotten. And I would stare at her at cons going, where do I know this woman from? We did an indie film called A Marine Story, which is about don't ask, don't tell, in which I was the first AD, but I also played a sheriff's deputy and Amanda played attractive crackhead number one. If I, I, mean, I love that you say attractive. That's definitely not. Well, me. I mean, you but know, the, you. The, the, there were a lot of crackheads in that room. Not everybody was pretty. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's the, that, that is actually how we, uh, it took me a while to realize that was actually where I recognized her face from. <laughs> so, so Avaloni said it, and now Amanda said it. Um, and I think you're going to hear it echoed over and over again. Um, please, please, please do not wait for permission to tell your story. There it is. Um, uh, uh, Hollywood loves to do that. Hollywood lives to do that. Um, Hollywood is sort of run and fueled by some demon who is powered by doing that. Um, you can sit on your hands, like Amanda said, and, 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 and you can waste away in this business waiting for Hollywood to give you permission to, you know, to, uh, you know, to, 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 you know, to, to ha have your story come to life, go out and do it. And that doesn't preclude you from then having a $150 million movie made based on your story. Um, uh, but, you know, if you wait, 
no one will ever see it. Find a podcast, find, you know, make a comic book, um, write a short story. Any of these things work, get your stories out into the world and good stuff will happen. And it, you know, it, it's, it, it's like Amanda says, it's like, um, uh, every meeting I walk into, they want to know about, um, they want to know about the comics. They want to know about the short stories. They want to know about the other stuff that I'm that, that I'm up to. They want to know more about when I was on American Ninja Warrior than they do about what I'm actually doing in the film business. That makes me more interesting. So make yourself. You an were not. Person. You were not on American Ninja Warrior, were you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, uh, <laughs> See, we, 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 I've we, been tuned out for like an hour, and then you say <laughs> that, and I'm like, oh, Ryan has something to say. <laughs> Just we kidding. Could, we, we could talk about that, but uh, but but Melody, why don't you give us your 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 how and why and your uh, your nuggets of wisdom? Well, I would I would of course echo a lot of what's been said, but especially for for those film students who who are outside of the normal box and outside of those who often might might get work. So if you're a woman, if you you have LGBTQ stories, if you have BIPOC stories, a lot of times Hollywood, it's beginning to get kind of, you know, interested in those stories, but it's it's sometimes still hard. So even more so, you have to double down on on not only telling the stories, but telling the stories from your point of view. And that's what you get to do with IP. And my story is, um, I didn't say, I didn't add that I also was um, on the 22nd, the recent season of Law and Order SVU as story editor. And, uh, and that kind of came to me through my social issue and playwright background. And the, the Warren Light, who is the um, showrunner for that, was a playwright himself to start. So really the idea that you just get out there and create on um, whatever platform is is really has been true for me as well, and I and it's funny because I came to I came to comic books and to writing on my first TV show at the very same time, so I was writing a comic book for the first time, learning the format for the first time at the same time that I was writing in my first room as a staff writer. So I was on Two Sentence Horror Stories, which is an anthology. It's now up on Netflix. Uh, the episodes are about 24 pages long, 24 minutes long, 24 pages, and that happens to be what I needed to write for comic book. So um, my comic book Omni was um, was is published by Humanoids, and Mark Wade had heard about me and my work, had read one of my TV pilots, a sci-fi pilot. He loved it, and he said, "All right, we um, can you pitch for Omni." And I, I just came up with a, I didn't know what that meant exactly for comic books, but I came up with a, um, ideas for several issues and an extensive doc. And he, he's like, I, you had me on the first page of that. You're, you know, come on board. We want you to write it. So I had to learn how to, to and, and writing comic books is very different than anything else I'd written before. I'd had a stab at writing. I'd written plays, write, had a stab at writing some books. And now I was writing comic books and my brother, Chris Cooper, which is kind of another story. Yes, the Central Park Birder, uh, who I posted the video of, he wrote for Marvel. So he wasn't happy that I, his sister was now writing for comics. Like, what? Uh, but, you know, I picked his brains a little bit. Really, I just had to dive in because I was in the writer's room and needing to bang, to, to slap all kinds of ideas up against the wall for an anthology, which was perfect 
dovetailing with comic books. And so this is a way that I think for those of you who are interested in television, it's the kind of stories that you have to come up with and ideas that you have to come up with uh, in, in a room actually applies to the different ideas that you have to come up with per issue. So that was really helpful for me. And then the length of my, my scripts because I was writing anthology and it was short form was perfect uh, um, dovetailing with comic books. And, and then the idea of being very visual, the idea that, that, some, that comic books kind of um, parallel storyboard and, and that real, all of that really dovetailed together so that even though I was working on two things that were really kind of wood might, might have been grueling, they actually fed into each other. And, and I love that anyway. And one of the, if you're one of those people that needs to like churn, I think comic books are also great because there's, there's a turnaround and that turnaround also complements television, which is fast. Um, podcasts I'm just now getting into, but podcast is something that also aligns with television. Obviously we know a lot of podcasts have transitioned to television and those ideas. And what I loved is the, the first podcast that I sold, um, it, it, it was pitched off the top of my head because they, they weren't interested in horror, which I thought they were during the, when I had the meeting. And then I just, because I'd been working in comic book, where you could create whatever you wanted. They could go to another country, another planet. You could do whatever you wanted. You didn't have a budget, right? So I thought, well, podcast is kind of like that. So I pitched something that I've always wanted to do, always wanted to see this thriller and they loved it. They, I, I didn't even have a treatment for it, nothing. And they bought it. So the idea of thinking quickly on your feet, thinking outside of the box, having fun. And um, I think Ryland said it like be going bonkers. It's just, it allows you to break through limits and to do something different and be seen as doing something different. And uh, I have a, I also direct and I have a, oh no, I have a shopping agreement to direct a horror comedy uh, feature. And, and again, everything that I've taken in from working in comic books and working in short form television and working in podcasts, all of that's gonna inform my creativity. So, so when you do that and work multi-platform, I think it, it really, it, it breaks story in a different way and it lets you be unique and it lets you explore your own voice. And that's what Hollywood wants. They want, and, and Hollywood wants unique voices and voices are exciting and different. Um, and you get to explore that, I think, more, the more that you, you work through different platforms. And, you know, I grew up loving comic books. Um, I'm looking forward to doing some horror comics. I started a women's um, film group for horror called Nick's NYX Horror Collective. And it's for women horror um, writers and filmmakers. And we have a, a short form 13 minute um, horror film festival that's gonna be up on a major streamer, which I can announce soon, but not yet. Um, and it's to, it's to and I don't have any content in this. I've just wanted to give other women horror creatives a chance to put content out there because it is about creating IP. It is about creating content so that you don't sit around and wait for someone to say, well, you know, women like to write horror, women like to direct horror, show them, let them see it and let them come to you. So uh, I'm a great, great believer in that. And, and in terms of, and also look for mentors, um, Devin Grayson, the amazing and wonderful Devin Grayson, 
helped me. I didn't read any books on writing comic books. I read a lot of comic books and Devin was really helpful. Um, she said, I'm just going to look at what you're putting forward. I'm going to answer your questions. And I'm going to push you out of the nest and let you fly. And that was probably the best thing for me. And, um, and she was wonderful. And uh, having a great mentor, if, you know, look out, you know, look to people who can you know, help you through the new and different platform and the different medium that you're working in. So, you, so you're not reinventing the wheel completely. And there are people out there who are willing to, you know, to help you. Um, hey, hey, Melody, um, uh, they're asking for the name of that that group again. Could you uh, repeat it or, or maybe drop the info in the uh, in the chat? Yeah, it's, I'll put it in here too in the chat, but it's Nick's NYX Horror Collective. And uh, on Friday, August 13th, we um, we're starting for a month. We're going to be on um, a major uh, a major horror channel, and with the 13 minutes of horror film festival. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that because it's you know it's it's important for us to get our work out there. But then you know the people who I am supporting, you know they're they're supporting me, and you you create this community. I say that's the other thing too is creating community is really important. Because you know the, there are people now who want to work with me and hire me for rooms. I, I'm I'm going to have a chance to set up a room and hire people, and it, it just all comes around. And it's it, it's really nice to 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 remember that too. Yeah, and you know I think I mean Melody says this uh, said this, but let me hit it right on the head. I feel like at the Los Angeles Film School, you guys are being trained as kind of world class chefs. And so I I, I, I guess what we're telling you is like don't just cook chicken, you know? <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff to cook there, a lot of other ingredients uh, 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 to, to, to mess with and play with, um, a lot of other ways to kind of present food to the world. So, you know, diversify your bonds. Um, David Boer, you've been uh, uh, sitting uh, uh, patiently. Um, why don't you uh, give us your, your, your how and your, your why and your, your supervillain origin story and all that stuff? Sure. Well, I did not go to a school to become a world-class chef, it turns out. I, um, <clears throat> as I mentioned, I went to law school. And it's so, fun to, it's, it's so fun to listen to everybody else's story because I came to writing so much later in my life. I always wrote and I wrote when I was in college and that sort of thing. But um, I, I went to business school. And then I went to law school at USC and I graduated in 04 and I went to a law firm. And the reason I actually started writing seriously was because it was so heinous. <laughs> it was it was so bad to work at this law firm. It was just, you know, 14 hour days and just cranking it out. So I started with escapism and I my journey to screenwriting and comics was my journey learning how to write story. So I started writing just on my own. I wrote three books. All of them were terrible. None of them saw the light of day. There's one in particular, an idea I loved, and this is gonna be my um, suggestion to everybody who's listening is pursue, pursue the stories you love, um, you know, to the ends of the earth if you have to. So I wrote this novel and it was terrible, and, um, but I loved the idea. And so then I started looking at potentially screenwriting and I went to the UCLA professional program and I brought that idea with me and I'm like, oh, I'm going to make it into a movie. And of course, it's like a hundred million dollar movie because that's what you do when you're starting out. You just write like the movies you like to watch. Right. Uh, and I adapted it and it was also pretty terrible, but it was a little bit better. 
So I kept writing and I kept, um, you know, writing screenplays. Nothing really happened. I got out of that program. That same idea. I started going to San Diego Comic-Con about 15 years ago, 13 years ago, back when you could, it, was, it wasn't the Hunger Games. If anybody has <laughs> gone to uh, San Diego or tried to get past the San Diego Comic-Con recently, it's, it's literally you have to, you know, destroy everybody in your way, push down little kids, get to, get to that line to get that pass. Um, yeah, about 15, 14, 13 years ago, I started going to uh, San Diego Comic-Con and I started, I didn't even come to comics until about then. And I started reading comics and I didn't know that, I thought it was all capes and tights. And I read a comic called um, Lock and Key, which I don't know if you can see it down here, but it's in my shelf. It's by Joe Hill and Gabe Rodriguez. And it taught me that you could do, you could, it taught me what kind of story you could write in comics, you could tell in comics. And it sort of just blew my mind and broadened my horizons. And so I thought, I have this idea that was a book that was terrible, a screenplay that was a little less terrible. Why not make it into a comic? At some point, it's going to be, you know, palatable. And that's what I did. And I, I pitched it as an idea um, to a, a very small publisher. And it's that you'll remember in your career when you get that first email that's like, oh my God, is my toe in the door here? When they responded, they're like, we, we love the idea. Let's talk more about it. And I made that as my first comic book. Um, since then, it's kind of gone nowhere, but it got me in my next job, which was um, writing this co comic book for um, called Alien Bounty Hunter with Mark Wahlberg and Steve Levinson, who did uh, Leverage and Entourage. Um, it, was, it was an idea they came, came to us with, and we wrote the comic book that, you know, was kind of the proof of concept for a movie that may or may not ever get made. Uh, from that, I went back and wrote a spec screenplay because I felt like I was starting to learn how to write stories through comic books. And that screenplay, I, I was able, I, I sold it because it was better than the stuff that I'd done before. And somebody really dug it. And then I took that screenplay and I had it and I wrote Canto, which, um, is my IDW book? It's a, it's the, it's the sort of dark fantasy, um, uh, fable, fairy tale, dark crystal, labyrinth, that sort of thing, um, and it kind of took off from IDW as, a, as a, as a comic book. And then Will Smith's company got interested in it, and we started talking about it, and the screenplay I sold, I had, I had as a sample. So I had a comic that was my best comic to date. I had a screenplay that was my best screenplay to date. And that's when they come up, came on board and said um, that, you know, they, they agreed that I could adapt it, you know, as a, as a movie. And so it was like this process of comics and screen, you know, screenwriting and all sort of working together to make me a better storyteller to put me in a place where, you know, I, I was ready to um, take that next step in my career. And I made a note because one of the things I love, I'll never stop writing comics. I'm doing Firefly, I'm doing Killer Queens. Killer Queens is, you know, all LGBTQ teen, uh, teen that's like a, two gay former assassins that are going across the galaxy and they're on the run from their former boss who's a fluffy monkey with a jetpack, And it's just hijinks. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> but if I went into a room and pitched that as a TV show, everybody would be like, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then you get an email 12 hours later. It's like, oh, we're going to pass. Sorry. 
Um, but I have a comic book now and it's all, you know, loud noises and flashing lights in this comic book. And I think people are really going to, you know, we've already seen some interest and it's not even out until August. So, you know, I love that story. I love Kanto. I'm telling stories that I love. That's what I recommend. Find a story you love and just tell it. But I was going to say one of the things that I love so much about comics is it's probably going to take three years for Kanto to become an animated movie, right? And in the meantime, we're going to have like 27 issues of Kanto. Almost every month, I'm going to have something physical and tangible to show people at when Avalone invites us all over for his cocktail party and we have to talk about what we're working on. I'm going to have it rolled up in my back pocket. I'm going to say, this is it. You can touch it. You can feel it. <laughs> have I, have you, have, have is... I seen, have I seen anything you've done? Well, yeah. now you have, right? So. And, that and is so much of, the joy of it. <laughs> it's that so is... great. And then, you know, having something come out monthly, and I think everybody in the panel can attest to this. Social media is so important. And there's so only so many vague tweets that you can send out over the course of 12 months as the movie is getting off the ground, right? But, you know, if you have a comic book every month, you don't have to vague tweet. You can say, here's the cover, here's some interiors, look how awesome this creative team is. And, you know, you have something to talk about on social media and people start thinking, oh, instead of trying to make yourself seem important, you actually, you know, you have something to say and something to show. And so as you're making, you're writing your specs or you're adapting comics or short stories or anything like that, having a story that you're telling that you can share with the world right away is gonna be so important to create your own, your own story of who you are as a storyteller and as a writer. Um, and and that, that's one of the big reasons I recommend going into comics is to have that rolled up in your back pocket, ready to show any producer at Avaloni's house, of course. Of course. <laughs> can I just can I just hype you for a second? I have read Killer Queens and it's amazing and it's so nice. much fun and I love it so much. So let me just like hype girl a little bit. Okay. I wanna I wanna hit on one of the points that uh, Melody made it a little bit, David a little made it a little bit. The there's a lot to be said for the pressure of deadlines and for the fact that an an artist is sitting in their living room going. I can't pay the rent if Avalone doesn't send me pages that I can draw. So I never keep an artist waiting because never ever be the person who is keeping someone. From... Howard Chaikin told me a story once. If you don't know the name, Howard's a legend in the comics industry, an incredible creator, a groundbreaking creator. He worked in television for 20 years in the middle of his comic book career. And he told me that when he was, and he was literally recruited, a producer called him up and said come to Hollywood and write television and he one day said well you know just out of curiosity why did you pick me he said well a tv writer maybe writes one script by themselves in a 23 episode season everything else they're contributing they're throwing out ideas in the room he's like you guys who do comic books you're writing a 22 page script every 10 days, every 15 days, or you starve to death because the industry doesn't pay you that well. Uh, and he's not wrong about that. But Howard's, this producer's perspective that comic book people way more than screenwriters are story generators because we are not sitting around, as I said earlier, waiting for the lightning bolt to strike. We are like, I got to give Dave Acosta something to draw by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, and he's in Detroit, 
So that means 6 a.m. my time. So that's the time that I have to do this. And uh, that pressure is fantastic. And comic books have made me such a better writer and so much faster at solving a story problem because I do not have the luxury of, I believe I will take a stroll around the promenade and take tea on the veranda until, you know, the, the muse comes to, you know, set upon my shoulder and whisper her genius. No, I got, I got an hour to get past this. Uh, and that pressure is, I recommend it. It's actually fantastic. If you can put that pressure on yourself, even better, but the pressure of coming from a publisher, an editor, an artist who's waiting on you is a fantastic thing. I want, I want to add something to that. There's another aspect to, to comic books that I think translates well to TV, especially, but even film. It's that this collaborative aspect, you're working with your editor and you're working with the artist and it's very direct. And especially for working with the artist, you have to be incredibly clear and, mm -hmm. and concise in what you write so that, and, and, and communicate well with the artist so that the artist will not only be able to create what you thought you wanted, but then leave it open so that the artist can come back with something that you didn't even realize could be so great and amazing. It's so much better than what you could have even imagined. And that's just, you, it's this like kind of fine line that I think works well for TV and, and film as well, that you, you, you're, you're not dictating, you're creating a sandbox with somebody. Mm -hmm. and, and luck, hopefully you have an artist who gets you and, and, and then you kind of manage it. And then you end up with this incredible work because you've collaborated with these, with these other artists. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and this, this dovetails nicely into a, a question from uh, uh, one of the attendees. Uh, how does the relationship between writer and artist compare in comics versus say a, uh, a writer and director in film? Um, you, you, you answered that uh, 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 very beautifully, I thought. I mean, the thing I will add um, is that it's different in every case, right? Um, uh, I have seen um, whatever relationship you need, you will find it. Um, I have seen screenwriters write screenplays, hand it off to an artist who then becomes the director, interprets the thing into panels, you know, writes it just like a final draft screenplay, right? Um, I'm not like that. You know, I, I, I went to the LA Film School. I went to the American Film Institute Conser Conservatory and, and studied directing. So I very much treat it like I am directing a small film. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in fact, one of the more popular panels that I do at cons is something called uh, uh, Directing Your Comic Book, where I cast the, the, the writer creator as the director of his or her, her, her own little movie. Um, and, and, and your artist, your colorist, they are your, your DP, your, your production designer, your, uh, uh, your, your costumer, and, and you are communicating with, with them in those terms. Like Melody said, um, just like in a film, if you, you know, you, you hire brilliant people, listen to them, right? You know, the, uh, uh, the best idea in the room wins. Like a, a dictator has no place on a, on a film set. They have no place in comics. Um, um, so there's that. I mean, all, all that said, to reiterate, uh, when I do the directing your own comic panel, I usually have uh, a friend of ours named David Pepos next to me uh, as the other panelist. And the first thing he does is disagree with me. He's like, no, that's not the case. <laughs> and so he has a different take on it. So, so there's no easy answer to that. Uh, some of the panelists may have uh, uh, other relationships for it. But 
what inspired me to do this for you guys at the LA Film School is that you are getting this directing education. You are getting this cinematography education. Um, you know, and, and, and so, so this is not a case, you know, as the creator of your own book, uh, you're not handing it off to somebody to, to just execute. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, um, I mean, as a writer um, uh, for films, you don't have a lot of power. You, you write it in an office like this, you send it off and somebody goes off and makes it. I mean, I, I'm on set from time to time. Now on TV, it's different, right? You know, uh, uh, you're often producing the episode that you wrote. Um, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you are kind of the final say on things a lot. And, and, and you know, th that's a way to look at it too, is that you're running a show maybe, uh, particularly if it's going, um, uh, you know, 10 issues, 12 issues, something like that. Um, there are a lot of ways to look at that metaphor. Uh, just don't let it become a meta five, I guess. Yeah. I would also oh. say it varies. Uh, the relationship with the writer and artist varies on what kind of project you're doing. So if you're doing your own IP, it's, it's really good communication. You're together, you're working on it together. If say you're doing um, a superhero comic for DC Comics, yep. you have an editor and you may never talk to your artist ever in your life. Yeah. Um, usually you're, you, you, so you write your script. You've got, I also am a like panel by panel, very visual, you know, I write it all out, but then I pass that off to my editor. My editor gives me any notes. I adjust it. Then it goes off to my artist. Sometimes I see pencils to give notes. Uh, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I see colors. Sometimes I don't. I always see the lettering that the letterer does. So like once the word balloons happen and your dialogue's in there, then I see it so that I can adjust dialogue and that I can adjust dialogue based on the art. But at that point, unless I notice something that is really huge, uh, the art is kind of locked in and there's nothing I can do or say about it. Now, different editor relationships, sometimes I can really like, I, you know, I'm, I'm always allowed to like make comments or say something, but if it's not, you know, if it's more creator owned or indie comics, it works a little differently and you're much more in a symbiotic relationship. But when you're working, if you ever work for like DC or Marvel or something like that, you're actually not going to have a lot of say about the art once it goes to your editor so just one the, the, the editor is the director in that case yeah. for the most yeah. part yeah yeah that, that, that's a, a very good point go ahead david i, I was amanda I'm, I'm i'm going through that exact thing right now it's so fun um because on firefly i wrote the script and it's boom studios and i sent it over and they said oh great thank you it's great <laughs> and i don't know if i'm ever going to see anything until right. i get comps in the mail but on the flip side of that, I make, you know, I do Canto, which is our own, um, you know, creator own book. And the artist Drew Zucker and I are on DMs multiple times a day. He sends right. me like panels, pencils of panels. And he's like, look at this, look at this. So constantly we are, um, you know, communicating because we have that kind of relationship. And I'll add the relationship that you have with the artist also depends on how long you've been working with them or if you know mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So I have Canto and I have Killer Queens. Killer Queens, Claudia Balboni, I haven't worked with her before. So, you know, it's kind of work out there. That shared language for that comic with, with um, Canto, Drew and I have been through so many issues with it that we've got shorthands. Yeah. I can say, we're going to call back to this thing, which was five issues ago. And I don't have to really explain where to find it. He just knows what it is. He knows who these characters are. So... And I, I feel I haven't had the, you know, pleasure of working with many directors, but I feel like if you have a relationship with the director, there could be that shared language that they can kind of get in your head a little bit and know what you're saying on the page. Um, 
So yeah, and I have artists who have like sneakily like that we know each other, we've worked together a lot, and then they'll send me oh, an yeah. email like before I send this to the editors, is this <laughs> what you meant? And then also there's my wife when when Cat Stags and I work together. Um, even yes. if it is for a big company as we are working together right now, I get to see everything before anybody else. Yeah. I, she's I not at her easel, just like hiding it from you. <laughs> no, I mean, she's probably working on it behind this window right now, honestly. I, I want to say that, you know, I, I think one of the things that few people understand about all of these industries is that none of these relationships are set in stone. I have worked on films where the director had the least input in what was going on the screen. And sometimes that was born of their experience. Sometimes that was born of their ineptitude. I've worked on movies where the director, a good director of photography, a good script supervisor, and a great actor are the reason the movie was the way it was. And then an editor polished it to make it something good. And the director actually had less creative input than you might think. And it's the same unless you're in the room while something is being made, it always cracks me up in reviews when I say, well, you know, the genius of blank is that he'd made this choice here. And I'm like, the editor suggested that, man, I can even tell that <laughs> watching, you know, like you're, you could not be wrong. And you know, and there are directors, there are directors who are fantastic at working with actors who probably wouldn't know which end of a camera to look in. Uh, and, and again, the industry supports these people. Some of these people win Oscars for best director. Uh, that's just the way it is. And it's the same thing. You're reading a comic book, you do not know who suggested what. The writer could have laid out a very specific diagram of what the issue was supposed to look like. And the artist just simply followed that one, two, three. Or the funniest thing in there might be something that the artist came up with. I'm lucky in that uh, Dynamite, who I've worked with for for a lot, a long time, is a very small publisher, and they pretty much leave me completely alone. Uh, my artists send me pencil layouts, pencils, and inks. I I usually do a pass on the dialogue after the inks, because, in a way, I'm looking at the dailies for the first time and going, oh, let me ADR that line because that didn't actually work the way I thought it would, or the artist drew something that's actually pretty funny, but it needs a line of dialogue. In one of my first comic books, there was a, a panel where a, a policeman was, what the description was a policeman is watching two workmen hang a banner in front of the police station that says Kurtz for mayor. And for whatever reason, the artist drew the workman standing on the very top step of the ladder and maybe even on his tiptoes. And just the way the artist drew the cop with his hands on his hips looking up, I added the line, I'm just saying he's the richest man in town. He could have gotten you a bigger ladder. That's not like the greatest joke in the world, but the art suggested, like, I just thought it was like, why, why is the ladder not three steps taller than that? That's just kind of funny that it's this insignificant, it's this ladder that just barely makes it possible to do the job. And I think that opportunity, the one part of film that I think prepared me the most for being a comic book writer was actually my years and years and years in post-production because having a supervisorship of the art and of the lettering and the colorist is exactly like sitting there with the colorist and the sound mix and the, you know, uh, the color correction and the score and all of that 
being willing to just keep your eyes on the thing. I'm sure there are comic book artists who, comic book writers, even without the DC Marvel corporate pressure, who submit a script and then just walk away. Like, okay, good luck. Hope it comes out nice. And, you know, my experience in independent films, I would sometimes edit a film and hand it off. And only once did I do that and then not attend the online, the negative cut, the sound mix, the scoring, because a thousand times I was sitting in the color correction going, no, no, that's not, that, that absolutely isn't what that is supposed to look like, guys. <laughs> like, I'm sorry I'm the only one in this room that remembers what we were talking about when we cut this, but that's not right. Like, oh, you dropped out that sound effect that is crucial to a story point because no one took a note and nobody wrote it down. And that, that part of comic books is very related to making films. And I just, I want to just add to the idea that we're, we, you know, you, you have to kill your darlings that we always hear in, in film and you can't be too precious. It, it goes also very often with comic books. And I'm in this place now where my comic book Omni is, we're developing it for TV pitches. And we've attached this amazing director, Seath Mann, who's, um, he just did the first two episodes of Blind Spotting. And, uh, and he's done just about every show you can imagine. And I love his work. And it's such an education for me to have his perspective on the pitch of developing the comic book into a TV series, because it's really crossing all the different lanes. And the most important thing, because if you, if you do create that IP and you do end up hopefully in that situation where that IP is very well going to go forward into this, this, this it will have to eventually, if it's gonna to go to series, into this, this pitch world and this development world, you, you have to be open. You have to be open to hearing someone's critique and someone, someone else's ideas because you're, you're moving into a different medium and there's things you may not realize. And it's, it's been such an education for me and then on the flip side of that, the Netflix feature that I'm working on is an adaptation of a fantasy book that's not been published yet. And so I'm given pretty much carte blanche on that script, but I'm also sensitive to the author who, who, who had and had several meetings with that author so that I would honor what her vision is. And, and so it's this, it's this really kind of teeter-tottering back and forth and, and just everybody having respect for each other's point of view, even if you don't agree, even if it doesn't go your way is, is really important. Okay, guys. Well, <clears throat> I mean, this is, I, I feel like we could go for another three hours. Uh, uh, this has been uh, amazing. I feel it's been great, uh, but we are bumping up against the 90 minute mark. And I know you guys have uh, things to write and uh, kids to, to hug and, uh, um, you know, uh, books to polish in, uh, in Boer's case. Um, uh, we will go around and kind of do our sign-offs here. Um, sorry, we didn't get to a few of the questions that popped up. Um, this tends to happen uh, when I get an enthusiastic bunch of uh, uh, folks together. Um, uh, if you still have questions, hit us up on social media. We'll tell you how to do that in just a minute here. Um, uh, I, I know these people, uh, well, um, they are more than happy to, uh, you know, to point you in the right direction to give you a little, uh, nugget of advice, uh, uh, me included. Um, so please hit us up. Um, we look forward to that. Um, conclusion, uh, if it is not 
wildly obvious right now. Uh, the film, TV, and comics worlds are now hopelessly intertwined for better and for worse. Um, I think if you ignore uh, any one of these mediums, you kind of do so at your own peril as a creator. And we can probably go ahead and include podcasts and fiction and all of that into it. Um, uh, as everyone here has said, um, become a storyteller, become a writer, become a creator and not just a screenwriter or a novelist or a comic book uh, 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 writer or creator. Um, uh, you're missing out. And also, I think it would be really, really cool, and, and, and give me a hell yeah if, if, if you think so. Also, uh, if the LA Film School, a world-class uh, visual storytelling uh, institution, had a couple of comic book classes. Um, you know, I, 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 think, I think the students would dig it. Um, I think they would benefit from it. Uh, I think you would see a lot of people kind of, uh, uh, you know, embracing, again, the like intertwined nature of, uh, of all of this stuff. So. Um, I don't know. You have some. Uh, you have some pretty uh, uh, damn good uh, uh, would-be teachers uh, right here on this panel. Uh, people with stuff to say. Uh, people who inspire uh, uh, young minds. Um, so uh, I don't know. Give us a call, LAFS. Um, uh, I, I love putting people on the spot like that. But uh, but we are wrapping up now. Of course, um, let's go around and tell us uh, where to find you. What you're uh, you're up to? Our, our classic kind of writer's block uh, 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 send off. Melody, you are on screen uh, right now, as far as I can tell. So why don't you go go ahead and go first? Uh, you can you can find um, my episodes at Beji, which was um, submitted for Emmy consideration. It was the first episode I ever wrote, and that was cool. A Beji and Quota on um, Two Sentence Horror Stories on Netflix. You can um, you can find me. My episode um, "Our Words Will Not Be Heard" is my episode on um, S Law and Order SVU. You can get um, Omni from uh, Volume Two from Simon and Schuster, Comicsology. Same for Noir. Um, Noir is the new black from Fair Square, and um, the Netflix feature is in the works. And so hopefully that and the podcast is probably will be up within nine months. So that's a little while. And the horror one will um, will be within the same time frame. So a bunch of stuff in development and some stuff you can watch now. Rock and roll, Amanda, let us know. Hi, I am on Twitter all the time, literally all the time. It's how I procrastinate <laughs> when I'm writing. At Amanda Dibert, and that's D-E-I because it's German. Um, I also, on Monday nights, I have a live podcast where you can call in and talk to me tonight at 8 p.m. our time cafe at the end of the world the link will be on my twitter so come feel free to join in that i'm happy to answer any questions anywhere upcoming comic book stuff i've got uh, joan jett and the black arts available for pre-order and red sonia black white red is out now and a lesbian noir graphic novel set in the 70s called work for a million that's also coming out and uh, dc superhero girls if anybody likes Middle grade. Rock and roll. Avalone, do it up. You're on screen. Uh, just want to say, I put my email address in the chat. Uh, I will talk to anybody who wants any thoughts, feelings, advice, has any questions. Uh, I sometimes do a panel about uh, networking at conventions. And the main thing I say is, you know, it's a community. Film is a community. Comics is a community, and ask not what comics can do for you. Ask what you can do for comics. And I think always, you know, 
when you go up the ladder, you leave it, you leave it there for others to climb after you. Uh, I have um, Elvira meets Vincent Price coming out in August. That'll run five issues now, probably run a little longer. Uh, if you go to my website, it branches off to all of the things, uh, all of the, the social media stuff where you can find my work. And yeah, like I said, if you, uh, you want to talk comics, movies, feel free to reach out. And thanks for the time. David Boer. Yeah, so you can find, I, I think I mentioned it once or twice, Killer Queens from uh, <laughs> Dark Horse. You just visit the website. I, you can tell I'm in promotion mode, right? Um, uh, darkhorsecomics.com, I think is what it is. And you can find links there. You can find links to Kanto on, through IDW Publishing. Uh, as well as on Amazon. Uh, it's probably the easiest play to, place to find it. Uh, Firefly, watch watch for that release from Boom Studios in uh, September. And I just put my Twitter and Instagram handles in the chat. And yeah, I think I want I will second Avalone's um, comment about networking. And ask, what did you say? Ask what you ask, not comics. what comics can do for you. Oh, ask yeah. what you can do for comics. It's, you know, get out there and network, but networking means just meeting and becoming friends with, with folks in comics. Don't, don't come, come out hot from the gate asking <laughs> for something. Yeah. Just, just be, be the kind of person you want to hang out with. And, um, and then, you know, the, the asks will come down the road. I just asked Amanda for a poll quote and I would have never done that. <laughs> prior to, to knowing her so you know we and just I was got, happy to do it <laughs> but we just got to be friends and then at that point is when you make the ask so just you know if you have questions co contact us we're always open we're always available and we can be the start of your network rock and roll uh I am uh Ryland Grant for some reason the picture is not changing over to me are, are you guys seeing me or are we still seeing Boer um, I'm seeing you're seeing me. Okay. Well, interesting. I, I guess it's just my thing. I'm, I'm getting freaked out by it. Technology! <laughs> uh, I am Ryland Grant. I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. It's right there on the picture there. But if you are listening on the Writer's Block podcast right now, uh, you're not seeing it. So I will spell it. It is, uh, it is at Ryland Grant, one word, R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I made this joke in the green room, but I have to spell it because it is not a real word. Uh, it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And so, yeah, now I have to spell it for you. Um, but you can find me there. I am, uh, I am, I am very active and all of that noise. Um, my, uh, my books, uh, the Ringo award-winning uh, Aberrant and the four-time Ringo nominated Banjax are available in fine comic shops everywhere and via Amazon and Comixology and all that noise. Uh, my other books, um, Peacekeepers, uh, my Fargo-esque crime drama, and my astral projection thriller, The Jump, are available right now via backer kit. If you go to The Jump 2, The Jump, one word, um, uh, to uh, the number two, uh, thejump2.backerkit.com, uh, you'll find those there, as well as cool signed copies of Aberrant and Banjax and Rare Con variants. And if you're a collector, it's a great place to go. It's the one-stop uh, Ryland Grant shop. Um, you should also, uh, if you're interested in comics, uh, Mr. Avaloni and I have a, a, a podcast where we kind of have um, uh, informal chats with creators, uh, creators uh, like the ones you're seeing today. They've all been on the podcast where we just kind of start talking about a, a comics business topic. And then it sort of over time uh, 
uh, ends up kind of, um, I don't know, veering off course. And, you know, we always end up arguing over which is the best Star Trek captain or, or, or whatnot. But it is good, solid comic book knowledge. It's called The Writer's Block uh, with uh, David Avalone and Ryland Grant. So it is on iTunes and uh, you can find it on YouTube and Spotify and wherever else you get your uh, your ear cracks. So, uh, so go check that out if you are interested. Um, yeah, and uh, and you know what? If uh, I mean, if there is interest in in comics and comics how to, maybe some of us will come back uh, uh, in the near future and we'll do the directing your comic uh, uh, panel. Um, that would probably um, uh, uh, be great for a bunch of uh, uh, would be directors here. Um, but something that is already scheduled, um, and uh, Whitney will like that I'm doing this. Um, uh, I am set to uh, moderate and crew uh, a crowdfunding panel. So we will be talking Kickstarter um, on Monday, August uh, the 30th at, at 3 p.m. Uh, right here during uh, LAFS's uh, Fame Week. Um, so that will be most likely uh, for you guys more uh, film slanted. Um, I may actually uh, ask Avalone to, uh, to to be on that panel. I haven't yet, but I probably will. Um, <laughs> I, that one coming. I, I don't think any of you other folks have, you guys haven't done uh, movie Kickstarters, have you? I don't think so. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, so you'll probably see Avalone's uh, beautiful mug again, uh, that great suit, those uh, sharp glasses and that, uh, uh, that um, incredible mustache. Uh, you will most certainly see me and you will see a, uh, another um, uh, collection of, of uh, film luminaries. Um, so join us then. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for, uh, for doing this. This, was, uh, this exceeded my, uh, my wildest uh, uh, dreams of what this could have been. It was awesome. Uh, so thank you to the panelists and thank you to you, uh, LAFS, for, uh, for hosting us. And thanks, uh, everybody, for showing up and, uh, and, and, and enthusiastically embracing this thing. So see you guys soon. Bye. Thanks. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.